Hey, it's Chris. Apple's Find My Network now supports third-party products. This is coming straight off of Apple's press or news section on their website. As you know, if you're watching this channel, we've been expecting Apple's AirTags to drop, their tile tracker competitor, to be released anytime now. The idea being that you stick a tracker in your wallet or your backpack, your purse, whatever it might be, to track things that you don't wanna lose. And then you use the Find My app on your iPhone or your iPad, your Mac, to locate those lost devices. So Apple's big news today is that they're opening up that Find My app to third parties, like Van Moof, an electric bike maker. It looks like they make very nice e-bikes. I've never tried one. I really like e-bikes. I did a review of an e-bike a long time ago on the channel. I'm looking at the Van Moof S3 here. It's almost $2,000 and it looks very sleek. So this is kind of like the Tesla of the e-bike world. Now, if I'm gonna be spending $2,000 on an e-bike, it's probably not something that I'm just gonna offhandedly misplace or lose. But if it gets stolen, which is a distinct possibility, maybe depending on where you live, wouldn't it be nice to have a built-in way to track that stolen merchandise? Why, yes, it would. Apple also announced that the $99 Belkin Soundform Wireless True Wireless Earbuds are gonna make their way into the Find My app. Now, these are obviously AirPods alternatives. Honestly, I've tried a lot of AirPods alternatives. These don't appeal to me too much. I like a lot of Belkin's products, but just looking at what I'm seeing here, honestly, I, I don't think these are gonna appeal too much to me. Nonetheless, it's cool that these work with the Apple Find My app. Now, this is something that you could misplace, and I do. I have gone looking for my AirPods case all over the house before. They got a picture here where it's hiding under a blanket. Yep, that's the kind of thing that can happen. Maybe it slid under the couch or in between a cushion or something. The Find My App's gonna be awesome for these types of products. There was one other partnership that Apple announced as part of this. It was the Chipolo One Spot, which is very much like a tile tracker. This is circular. It's kind of like the AirTags images that we've seen. It's just a little, okay. And this is a special edition Chipola One item finder that works exclusively, it says, with Apple's Find My app. Now it's not available yet. It's gonna start shipping in June, but I can see right here on the website, there's a video going and yeah, there's a guy dropping a Chipolo tracker into his backpack and, and he's got one on his keychain here. So when you lose something, let's say you lose your keys, you ring it, you track it, you get alerted. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, enough talking about the things that Apple announced that were gonna work with Find My outside of Apple devices. Who cares? Well, the reason to care is because Find My from Apple is not just an app, it's actually a network. It's vast and it's secure. Here's what they have to say about it. For more than a decade, our customers have relied on Find My to locate their missing or stolen Apple devices, all while protecting their privacy. That is important. And if you're an Apple customer, you probably care about that. Now we're Apple bringing the powerful finding capabilities of Find My, one of our most popular services, to more people with the Find My Network Accessories program. This is actually pretty cool. When you talk about the Apple ecosystem, there's all these components and pieces that you don't get with Samsung, with Google, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the ability for an accessory developer to bring their product to the Find My Network is really great for the Apple customer. Here's why, because those third-party products 
must adhere to all the privacy protections of the Find My Network that Apple customers rely on. So did you catch that? It's not just about finding your devices, but it's about keeping your privacy intact while you're at it. So this bike manufacturer here has to pay attention to those privacy guidelines. Chipolo has to pay attention to those privacy guidelines. Belkin also has to pay attention to those privacy guidelines. And anybody else that joins this program is gonna have to pay attention to those privacy guidelines. I don't know how often you guys have played around with Find My. I've used this to locate my actual earbuds, my individual AirPods, whenever those get lost, because if there's still some battery left, you can have a chirp, play a sound, helps you locate it because sometimes I do use just one bud. So do you, if you own AirPods, it's convenient. That's part of the appeal. And then part of the thing is, if somebody does steal your device, if it falls into the wrong hands, you can then take the necessary actions to erase your data on said device, especially if it's your iPhone or something, right? Make sure that it's secure from a distance. What else do I wish had Find My enabled out of all my accessories. It's weird because I haven't been mobile for quite a while because of the pandemic, been living, breathing, working out of the house, but you know, I got my shot coming up soon. I can't wait to get back into the coffee shop, you know, get away, get a change of scenery. And when that happens, what am I gonna bring with me? You never know, I might bring a little microphone, I might bring a stand, I might bring a keyboard, things other than just the Mac or the iPad right? Everything's becoming so connected these days. This is something I'm happy to see baked in to more accessories. And of course, you know what this means, right? Apple is probably preemptively launching this new story about integrating third parties into the Find My Experience just before AirTags actually come out. So if anything, the most exciting thing here is that AirTags are probably finally seriously just around the corner. It's just that Apple wanted to get this news out of the way first, most likely, I'm guessing, pretty positive, so that they can have all the limelight to themselves when AirTags hit. Here's some news that has to do with Apple as a company, which I don't usually cover on this podcast, but the thing is, when you're talking about the CEO and whether or not he's gonna be there and for how long in the future, that's kind of a big deal that affects all the products that I normally talk about and cover. So. Kara Swisher recently interviewed Tim Cook, and there was lots of takeaways about all kinds of things. But one of the most talked about tidbits that popped out of this interview was that Cook felt comfortable saying he doesn't expect to be CEO of Apple in a decade. So the question in my mind, I think a lot of people's minds is, well, who would be next up? Who could be next in line to take over Apple, to be in charge of ultimately all these products and experiences that so many of us not just like, or maybe even love, but rely on for our businesses day in and day out. So Apple Insider had an interesting article about this, a take kind of speculating about some of the front runners. And just in case you're curious about the actual quote that got everybody stirred up about this, Cook says, 10 more years? Probably not, but I can tell you that I feel great right now and the date is not in sight. But 10 more years is a long time and probably not 10 more years. So. Apple Insider pegs the three top choices as being Craig Federighi. You know him from the keynote events. You know him possibly as Hair Force One, depending on how deep into the Apple wormhole you've gone, or Greg Jaws Joswiak, or Jeff Williams. Now, I've actually heard more speculation about Jeff Williams taking over after Tim Cook. I'd never actually heard Craig or Greg tossed in there before, which doesn't really mean anything whether or not I've heard it. I'm just saying 
I've heard more talk about Jeff Williams being an eventual possible replacement. Craig Federighi, though, I don't know if you guys know this, he actually goes all the way back to the next days, next being the computer company that Steve Jobs started after he was fired from Apple. He goes back and becomes CEO of Apple once again, and Apple acquires next. I'm not sure the whole timeline, because it's been a while since I read the biography, which I've been thinking about reading again, because it was really great. But Craig was there. He's been writing with Apple since next. Craig's job, of course, has been as the president of software engineering most recently, and he is an icon at Apple, obviously. When a lot of people think of Apple these days, I mean, who are the most notable faces? It's probably Tim Cook and Craig. Greg Joswiak, also known as Jaws, I actually know less about. I know he's in charge of worldwide marketing, and that's a big deal. Apple obviously has had lots and lots of iconic ads over the years, and the person behind that strategy is obviously going to play a prominent role at the company. What's interesting about Jaws is that he's not just a design guy or a marketing ideas guy. He actually has some engineering experience. He did some work on the Macintosh team, and he helped develop the original iPhone and iPod. If you're watching the clip and not just listening to the podcast, you may recognize him because he has been at some of the keynote events as well as a presenter. Now, Jeff Williams, I told you this is the person that I've heard talked about most frequently, or most recently anyways, as being next in line. The interesting thing here is that Tim Cook used to be the chief operating officer before he became the actual CEO. And guess who's the chief operating officer right now? Jeff Williams. What does that mean? That means that he oversees Apple's entire worldwide operations, as well as customer service and support. Actually, he does a lot. I'm reading his description here. He also leads Apple's design team and the software and hardware engineering for the Apple Watch, among other things. I could keep reading, but we'll keep this short. Williams, if you wanna go back in his history, he's been at Apple since 1998, and he was definitely integral in launching that first iPhone. So he's been around. And you know what? You've seen him at some of the keynotes too. But maybe you just don't recognize him. There's something about Federighi. He's just more recognizable than all these other names. Now, somebody out there could be like, well, what about Eddie Q or Phil Schiller? Eddie Q, I mean, maybe he would, you know, take over. He's been around for a while too. Phil Schiller, he's kind of been stepping back from the company lately. Right now, he's in a role as what's called an Apple Fellow, and he's still responsible for leading the App Store and Apple events. Of course, it's not just guys that are in line for Apple's throne. You could see Lisa Jackson also show up as a nominee, and Lisa is actually the VP of Environment Policy and Social Initiatives. <laughs> you gotta like this picture where she's standing on top of Apple's headquarters, that's pretty cool. And there's some other names, you know, there's Johnny Suruji, SVP of Hardware Technologies. There's a guy named John Turnus, who's a VP of Hardware Engineering. There's somebody else named Dan Riccio. Nobody knows what's going on though with Riccio, because I think he's in charge of a secret project at Apple. His name and bio actually got taken off the leadership page, as far as I know, and we don't know what he's doing but people think he's still playing a significant role at Apple. And then, of course, you're left with the option of an outside choice. Let's be honest, though, I don't think that's a real possibility. Do you? I think when Steve left the company, you go back to his biography. I specifically remember that book talking about Steve being very cognizant and aware of passing on the Apple-ness, the DNA that made Apple 
what it was at the time under his leadership, just imbuing the company with that and passing that on successively from generation to generation. I think having a CEO that's come up through the ranks would probably be the best way to do that. So there you go. I think there's a pretty clear look at who could be next in line if and when Cook decides to actually step back. Apple and privacy, they just go together at this point. You hear privacy and tech, and who do you think of? You think of Apple. So have you ever been to apple.com slash privacy? Apple has a website up that just talks about your privacy and how Apple's products and apps play a role in protecting your data. Of course, Apple does believe that privacy is a fundamental human right. Some people could look at that and be like, ah, it's just marketing. But you know what? If you're gonna put that out there as a company, you've got to do something to back that up. And whether it's marketing or just beneficial to say that, it's gotta be baked in because they're making such a big deal of it. And so I appreciate Apple's privacy stance. But let's read a little bit about what Apple does to make our lives more private. Oh, there you go. Your data, your choice. Choice, that's nice. A lot of our data is just collected. It's vacuumed up and it's packaged and it's sold. Oftentimes for marketing purposes. So it's nice to have a choice. And that's what Apple is always empowering us with, a choice. We can actually choose when an app can see our data or developer, and we can also revoke that access. But I'm actually on this page uh, because of Farouk, AKA, iPhone do tip me off to this on Twitter. He said, Apple's privacy page has been updated. It's got a PDF called view a day in the life of your data, explaining as simple as possible, how your info gets collected and shout out to Fruk. Make some of the most gorgeous product shots on YouTube, just dripping with blood, sweat and tears. You can see, uh, I don't know even how he pulls off the shots that he does. So if you've never checked out his channel, go check it out. But here it is on the privacy site, view a day in the life of your data. We're going to check it out. A day in the life of your data, a father daughter day at the playground. That's the example. All right. Oh, we got a quote from Steve jobs here. Job says, I believe people are smart and some people want to share more data than other people do. Ask them, ask them every time, make them tell you to stop asking them. If they get tired of you asking them, let them know precisely what you're going to do with their data. And that was from the all things digital conference all the way back in 2010. And I like that quote, Apple's been on the privacy thing for over a decade. All right. We got a picture of father, daughter hanging out on the bench. And it says over the past decade, a large and opaque industry has been amassing increasing amounts of personal data, a complex ecosystem of websites, apps, social media companies, data brokers, and ad tech firms track users online and offline, harvesting their personal data. This data is pieced together, shared, aggregated, and used in real-time auctions, fueling a $227 billion a year industry. This occurs every day as people go about their daily lives, often without their knowledge or permission. Okay. I'm already learning some stuff here. Are you? But one question is if people are making $227 billion a year off of data, whether you want your data shared or not, if it's getting shared, should you be getting paid for that? That seems like an obvious thing there. So we got a do you know section. Trackers are embedded in the apps you use every day. The average app has six trackers. Now I've been seeing that headline around. Now I know where it's coming from. It says the majority of popular Android and iOS apps have embedded trackers. Not cool. Trackers are often embedded in third-party code that helps developers build their apps. By including trackers, developers also allow third parties to collect and link data 
you have shared with them across different apps and with other data that's been collected about you. And I don't like that. You know, it's a well-known fact that even though data can be anonymized from one source to another, companies with artificial intelligence, especially big companies, not to mention governments, can easily put the pieces of the puzzle together and get a big picture of who you are and what you do online without you even knowing. Then of course it says data brokers collect and sell, license and otherwise disclose to third parties that personal information. Okay, so now we're getting into the father-daughter thing. It says John plans a day at the park with his daughter. In the morning, John uses his computer to look up the weather, read the news and check a map on his smartphone for traffic conditions for a trip to the playground next to the daughter's school. During the ride, there are four apps on his phone collecting and tracking their location data periodically in the background. After the data has been extracted from the device, app developers sell it to a host of obscure third-party data brokers that John has never heard of. All right, so you're just riding around, planning your day. People are tracking you. Emma, this is the daughter, plays a game on the ride to the park. When she opens up the app, she sees an ad for a scooter, and that was no accident. In the split second the app loaded, an auction occurred for the ad space. Whoa, in the split second there, wow. Through intermediaries, the advertising companies working on behalf of the scooter company learned about the available ad. Let me stop this right here and just say, you know, I don't know what the best solution is here because I'm a YouTuber. I do make some money from YouTube, from Google, from AdSense, and I know that Google's out there tracking you know, my behavior, your behavior on YouTube as you browse around and they're serving up ads that they think will be the most delicious for you to click on. It'll make them the most money. So I'm not oblivious. I'm just gonna put that out there. The scooter company then collects information about John and Emma's behavior after seeing the ad to determine if they clicked on it or bought the scooter. This is pretty comprehensive then, this process. And then they'll continue to advertise the scooter in every way that they can, yada, yada, yada. We got another blurb over here that says, every hour of every day, billions of digital ads are shown to users online. In the milliseconds it takes to load an ad, in the milliseconds it takes to load an ad, a real-time auction takes place during which advertiser bids on the ad space, often relying on tracked personal data about the individual. Okay, so John and Emma are now at the park and the next thing is that they've taken a selfie at the park and they're playing with a photo filter app in this example, settling on adding bunny ears to the photo. The filtering app, however, is able to access all the photos on the device and the attached metadata rather than only the playground selfie. Whoa. John posts the picture on a social media app. The app links John's current online activity to a trove of data collected by other apps, such as his demographic information, his purchasing habits, using an email address, a phone number, or an advertising identifier. Now that sounds like way more information than a photo filtering app needs to have. How is that possible? Well, some apps request access to more data than is required to provide their service, such as a keyboard app requesting precise location access. You know, Apple's coming out with all these privacy labels and transparency labels now. A lot of companies are upset, Facebook is very upset. But over the last decade, me and you, we probably have installed apps and just kind of allowed everything that was needed or that the app told us that it needed to make that app work. At least, if nothing else, it's kind of creepy to know all the ins and outs of this just invisible thing happening behind the scenes. Okay. Our father-daughter team is now at the ice cream shop on the way home. And what do you know? John pays for the ice cream with a credit card and more information gets added to the comprehensive data profile of his preferences, the location of the store, and how much he spent. Yikes. 
One of the apps that track John's location is able to observe that John and Emma also stopped by a toy store. Man, I know Apple is putting this together because they're making a big privacy push and in some way or another, this makes them look good for being the heroes of the story. But doesn't this kind of just make you sick? Like you knew that something nefarious was happening with your data. You've been hearing about that for years, but this really sheds a light on what precisely is happening with your data, how it's being collected and used. And honestly, the word that comes to mind is just sickening. Now here's the other thing. The information about where the family shopped that day is passed along to the data brokers who combine it with knowledge that he has a young child and then, then peppered John's devices with targeted ads for sugary treats and for that toy store that they visited. Man, we all knew that ads were really creepy, especially Facebook and Instagram ads because You've probably been there. You've been having a conversation with somebody, you mentioned some kind of a product, and then all of a sudden, that person ends up with an ad for something that you were talking about that they knew nothing about. That's how you know. You're like, well, was the phone's microphone actually listening to me? I don't even think it needs your microphone to be as creepy as that. And then the end result at the end of the day here is that a number of companies John has never interacted with replaced John's name with whatever your name is, a number of companies that you've never interacted with all over the world have updated their profiles with info about him and his daughter or you and your family. Right, let's see how creepy this goes as we go down the rabbit hole. These companies know the location of the family's house, the park they visited, the news websites they read, the products they browse, the ads they watch, their purchasing habits, and the stores that they visited. The data was collected and tracked across multiple apps John and his daughter used throughout the day, as well as from other sources. John had no idea how much of the data was being collected throughout the day, didn't always have control over it, and didn't knowingly give permission for it to occur. Yeah, that's a big deal. Not knowingly giving permission. Go back to that Steve Jobs quote, at the beginning of this PDF, and you get a sense for how things should be. And I agree with Jaws. What he said in that paragraph, doesn't that just seem like it's the ideal? That's how things should be. And you can tell here, we're not living in that universe, in that world. So it goes on, it says, as they search for a kid's movie on an app in their smart TV to kick back for the evening, the cycle of tracking, exchanging data, auctioning, and retargeting relentlessly continues. Yeah, I knew that these smart TVs were getting ridiculous with advertising. It's just too bad that everything plugs in to an ad network, it seems like. Where is your haven of privacy? You know, you have a safety, you know? Like, you wouldn't go out and just give random people all this personal information that you saw on the street. You'd feel weird about that. And yet, all these random companies do have that information. <laughs> All right, so what is Apple's antidote to this problem? Number one, data minimization, collecting only the minimum amount of data required to deliver what you need for a given service. That sounds like a good idea. Number two, on-device processing, processing data on the device wherever possible rather than sending it to Apple servers to protect user privacy and to minimize data collection. So you know how people are always like, well, Siri's not as smart as other smart assistants as other AIs. Well, you know why? Because Apple's not mining your data to the extent that other companies are. I truly believe that's a huge part of it. Number three, user transparency and control, making sure that users know what data is shared and how it's used and that they can exercise control over it. Apple is doing a good job with this. They're making a big push with those privacy uh, tra transparency labels where apps now need to tell you what data they're collecting and put you in the driver's seat in terms of whether or not you're okay with that. 
finally security, hardware and software working together to keep your data more secure. That's obviously important. And I think in a lot of people's minds, that's the main thing. Just, you know, physically protecting your, your device. But that's going to keep somebody who's in the same room as you maybe out of your phone, out of your computer to an extent. But you're going around all over the place. Every time you access certain apps or websites, even watching TV without any locks on those digital doors. So if you look at the app privacy and transparency labels for a given app, it's gonna tell you the data that's used to track you, whether that's your contact information, your location, or just other identifiers. It's gonna look at the data that gets linked to you, maybe your financial information, location, purchases, contact info, browsing history, identifiers. This is important stuff. On the other hand, I just think people have become so complacent. They just don't care. They want that convenience more than anything. Or maybe they feel like something bad enough hasn't happened to them yet. You know, maybe they got some information exposed through a hack of their bank or Facebook or something. But still, that didn't tip the balance in favor of wanting more privacy, being stingier with the data that is shared. What's it going to take? I don't know. I mean, we could delve into this subject for what seems like forever. There's some great frequently asked questions here. If you go to Apple's uh, privacy site, apple.com slash privacy, you can look at how Apple's homegrown apps like Safari are going to throw trackers off your tail, uh, maps, uh, photos, messages, Siri, Apple News, Apple Wallet and Apple Pay, the health app. Oh, that's a big deal. Your health records. I mean, you can look at 60 Minutes recently. I think 60 Minutes did something on health data. That will blow your mind too. This is all stuff that you should want to keep secret, private, yours. And Apple is at least trying. You, you gotta say, Google's not out there. Facebook's not out there. Telling you about all this, number one. And number two, they're not out there spearheading an effort to change the way that commerce works and advertising and tracking works, are they? So thank you, iPhone Doe, for sending us down this very informative slash scary rabbit hole. If you've ever wondered how to clear text formatting when you copy and paste, it's super simple. I feel like everyone needs to know this. It's basic Mac iPad knowledge. It should be required. When you take your new device out of the box, this should be one of the instructional things for you because I use this all the time. There's nothing worse than copying some information off of a website, trying to paste it into a note, and it's got a bullet point or some italics or it's in some weird size. You're working in size 12 font, and it's like size 16 or 18. That's really annoying. But the fix is just super, super simple. All you gotta do is press Shift, Option, Command, V to paste without the formatting. That's it. This is gonna be a really, really short clip because there's nothing else you have to do. So no, you don't have to actually copy something and then paste it into a plain text document. Man, that's a pain. I know a lot of people out there and that's their workflow. And then recopy it out of there into your intended destination. You don't have to do that. Here it is again, Shift, Option, Command, V. And you have just cleared the formatting from your clipboard before pasting it. I love it. You know, we didn't actually cover all that many topics today, but I'm gonna leave it right there because I feel like 
we covered plenty and it was important. So thanks for tuning into this episode and I'll catch you guys in the next one. Later.